the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl, who has come today to redeem herself because last week, July 6th, would have been the Thursday for another episode release, but um, I was out of the country. It was July 4th holiday here in the United States, so I was out of the office, out of podcast, out of my house. I was in Mexico celebrating a close friend's birthday, and um, I had a wonderful time. So I do sincerely apologize for not having an episode last week, but I think given the circumstances, you will all understand. If you might have noticed... I'm very proud of the new intro music. Um, I wrote this three weeks ago, I believe. So I'm very excited to have something new, something flavorful. So do not be alarmed. You are definitely still listening to the right podcast. Um, I just wanted a different song, something to change it up. This week, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about a movie that actually the first time I watched, I didn't like. But on a few rewatches, I discovered I do actually really like it. Um, It kind of planted its seed in me and absolutely grew on me in a way that I didn't expect. So we are talking about the 2017 film Mother by Darren Aronofsky, starring Jennifer Lawrence, who is one of my absolute favorite actresses. But before we get into that, I want to take a quick second to remind you all that The Final Girl on 6th Avenue is part of the incredible Morbidly Beautiful Network Morbidly Beautiful is your home for horror. If you love horror in any way, shape, or form, then you are welcome at Morbidly Beautiful. You can find my podcast and many others like it, such as All American Spook Show and Cheer and Loathing, as well as insightful film reviews and so much more. Head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com to check it all out and show us some love. Jumping right back over to um, discussion of Mother... Looking to our Bible IMDb, everybody knows the drill by now, I hope. Um, Mother is a 2017 released film rated R, two hours and one minute runtime. Written and directed by Darren Aronofsky, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, and Ed Harris. Um, the, The synopsis that is provided by IMDb, I believe, is intentionally vague. Um... A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. So that, I, like I said, I believe is intentional. And just a heads up on how I'm about to start this discussion. Um, remember, I don't even remember what episode it was, but there was one point in time where I told the listeners of this wonderful show that elevated horror or art house horror or anything art house will typically, um, or it's not uncommon, I should say, it's not uncommon for these films to have characters that do not have names. So Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence are playing a married couple. In this film, Javier Bardem's name is him. Jennifer Lawrence's name is Mother. So when I say him, I know it sounds incredibly grammatically incorrect, but it is capitalized as a proper noun in the credits of the film. 
and it is actually the only name in the credits of the film of the characters that is a proper noun. So that is where I wanted to just give a little, you know, clarity because even while I was writing my notes for this film, when I was watching it, you know, to talk about it today, I was also getting confused with my own self. So just for clarity, Javier Bardem, him. Jennifer Lawrence, mother. Everybody sounds like they understand because I'm not hearing any questions. It's a little joke because um, this podcast is only hosted by me. So anyways, let's jump into Mother. Our film opens with a woman on fire. So that's a nice comforting feeling to the start of this film. And then we get our title screen. And after watching John and the Hole, I'm so thrilled to have a title screen that is not 30 minutes into the film. That is a nice change of pace. Him places a crystal in his office on a little stand, propping it up. It's beautiful. And we watch as the home go from totally dilapidated, destroyed, to slowly becoming fully restored and updated. And looks livable again. Mother wakes up and calls out to him and she searches the house and finds him in the doorframe. And she goes outside, you know, to look at the front yard. She goes out the front door and he's talking about his writer's block. He's a writer. He's not able to come up with anything. That sounds like a horrible affliction. And Mother has a vision while working on the house later because like the exterior of the home becomes fully restored after he places the crystal on its stand but the interior of the home still needs a fuckload of work to be you know fully livable so mother is spackling the wall of the dining room and while she's doing this she has a vision of a fetus Him and mother have like a brunch, breakfast, lunch situation. And later they sit in his office while he struggles to write. And there's a knock at the door. Man, again, this is the title of the character. Man arrives. Him invites man in. And man says that he is an orthopedic surgeon. So mother, being the gracious host that she is, makes some tea for them and has pains in her stomach that are so bad that she ends up dropping a coffee mug on the floor. Fellow woman, been there, can tell you right now that is a shitty feeling. Man and him are sharing whiskey um, in the little seating area when she returns and man explains that he moved there. Like, we don't know where there is, but... Man moved there to finish a paper, like a research paper, and he was under the impression that this home, being that it's in the middle of pretty much nowhere, was a bed and breakfast. And him is like, oh my god, I can't believe that's so funny. Well, why don't you stay anyway? Let's just, you could just stay here. It's fine. You traveled all this way. Like, we have no idea where you came from. You traveled all this way. And mother is kind of like, I don't know if I really want this like random person in my house. 
I can't blame her for that at all. I think I would have a lot of issues with that as well. But against her wishes, man is going to stay. So she grabs some linens and um, when she's getting the linens to make a bed for man, she's in the basement and she sees like a fireplace built in oven type situation, um, which I would argue kind of dates the home. But it's like a furnace, basically, in the basement where you would put, you know, coal or wood or what have you as, like, your heating source. So back upstairs, Man is in Him's office and is telling him how much he loves his books. He's like, I can't believe um, you're this guy. And it all kind of unfolds because in Him's office, there is a section of you know his um bookshelving where there's just like i don't know 30 copies of the same book and man says well that's so odd like i get that you like this book but why do you have so many copies like that's so weird usually you know people at most i would say have two copies of the same book um and man is just kind of like you know i love this book too but why do you have so fucking many of them it's so weird and kind of obsessive and him is like oh no i wrote this book and man is just praising him saying how much he loves him and that obviously kind of sets sets everybody's heart on fire right you you love to hear when people love your work and if my husband was being complimented for his work i would feel equally as warm and appreciative of the kind words when they're looking at the crystal him says that the crystal is a special gift and he lost everything in a fire but in the ashes of the fire he found this crystal and he says she breathes life back into everyone when talking about the crystal so then man randomly i would argue becomes ill and he throws up in the bathroom and he has his shirt off And he has a huge scar on his side and back, like where your back ribs would be located. And like we mentioned, you know, mother is obviously not loving the fact that this man is in her house and now he's sick. And she's like, okay, this is definitely not how I wanted to spend my evening. But man kindly explains, you know, I, sorry, I I must have had too much whiskey. It's not a big deal. This just kind of happens to me. I'm totally fine. So mother goes um, off on her own after she finishes making sure man is okay. And she hears the house creaking, like it's like moving. And she takes some medicine for her stomach pain. The next morning she makes breakfast and him says that he was awake all night, inspired by man's stories. Um, Man already explained to us that he um, was traveling because he was finishing up a paper He's a surgeon, and I guess um, all these real-life stories of of his from his line of work have inspired him to continue to write. And Man and him the next morning literally don't remember Man getting sick the night before. Mother asks Man how he's feeling. Are you feeling okay? Is there anything I can get you? And they both just kind of gang up on her in a way that's really uncomfortable, but 
um, you know, we as the viewers saw him throwing up and she saw him throwing up as well. She was in the scene and him and man were also in the scene. And so we all know that we saw it happen, but you know, I think gaslighting, um, can probably just happen in any situation. So I think that's what we're looking at here. But anyway, not to get down that rabbit hole. The doorbell rings, and again, they live in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So the fact that there's knocking at the door and that the doorbell is ringing is so bizarre, and that would be enough to put me over the edge for sure. And it's man's wife. They make out at the door. He greets her at the door. They make out. And he says, nice to meet you. What an odd thing to say to your wife. Nice to meet you. So, distracted by what's going on and obviously confused, um, mother hasn't been paying attention to the stuff that she's been cooking, so um, the breakfast starts to burn, and both women run to the kitchen to try to help, and they burn their hands on the burning pans as they're trying to get it off the burner. But over breakfast, man and woman, that's a new character, woman, talk about love at first sight and never having any doubt about each other. They say they have two kids. Mother and him say that they want to have kids, but only after the house and his book are done. And mother is still upset at him for allowing people to stay because now he's like, oh, now there's a woman. Well... If it's man's wife, then woman has to stay as well. We can't just, we can't just kick them out. I mean, that would be immoral. So later, uh, mother's back to spackling the wall and woman brings mother a glass of lemonade and asks if she has any painkillers. The lemonade has alcohol in it. Um, I don't really know why, but I guess because spackling is boring and um mother is talking about how she's doing all this work on the house because she wants to make it a paradise and woman asks why mother doesn't want kids she doesn't want to it's confusing because when we see the dynamic between mother and him um when they were talking about children over breakfast it it didn't feel as though mother really was that enthusiastic about having children but she also wasn't against it and you know the day before she had had this vision of a fetus so she's kind of not like fully against it but she's also hesitant about it and woman takes this to mean that um she just doesn't want them at all which is not fair so woman is prying for information from mother saying well why don't you want any kids creating stuff together is what keeps a marriage going having a beautiful home is is not going to keep your marriage alive and mother gets obviously offended and woman tries to go inside the office against mother's wishes so him and man go outside they're going to go on a walk and woman and mother decide that they're going to do laundry because i don't know why 
I guess they're not allowed to go outside anymore. So when they go, woman takes this as another opportunity to um, make mother feel uncomfortable. So when they're doing the laundry, she's teasing mother about her underwear and, you know, saying they're not sexy enough. And she's like, well, I wonder why your sex life isn't better. I mean, you're not wearing anything hot, which like, I don't know. Underwear is kind of just underwear, but that's my opinion. When she leaves the basement, um, mother finds the bathroom sink on. There's a bathroom near the entrance of the front door of the home and she finds the sink on with toilet paper on the sink and she tries to flush it but the toilet gets clogged by some weird looking blob creature is the best way I can describe it so mother's distracted by that obviously and when she's done turning off the running water and you know seeing whatever the fuck she saw in the toilet she catches woman in the office again and just is like, you know what? You have to leave. Like, you have to leave. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. And at the front door, or near the front door, I should say, there is a man's bag, like his overnight bag. And mother notices that there is a photo of him in man's bag. And him tells mother that man is dying and had to meet him before his death. Back up in the office, I don't know why people just can't be respectful in this movie, but it, I would like to say that that part gets better, but it really doesn't. Um, man and woman are in the office and they break the crystal. They drop it, it shatters, and him very loudly sends them away. I mean, his kindness has immediately turned to anger. They've done nothing but take advantage. And he sends him away and he tells mother to give him a minute alone because he's very upset about this crystal. So mother again asks them to leave while him picks up the crystals, shattered pieces and his hands, his hands are bloody. And in a, another room of the home, all the rooms in the home are pretty much empty, so I'm going to go ahead and assume it was like a guest bedroom. The door is cracked, and Mother sees man and woman having sex, which is obviously such an odd thing to do after you damage someone else's personal property. My first thought would not be to have sex in that, in, you know, that couple's home. But again, I am not the decision maker here. And Mother goes to the bathroom to drink some more medicine. She's the medicine she's taking is like this like yellow liquid that she pours into a cup and she drinks I I don't know what it is. Not modern medicine as far as I'm concerned. In a fit of rage, him breaks the handle off of his office door and starts to board up the room so that no one else can access it. I can't say that I blame him, although I would have just rather kicked the people in my house out. Woman is still refusing to leave, and out of nowhere, two young men, I would say. It's hard to, dis to exactly pinpoint their age. But two um, men show up, young men, at the house, and they are man and woman's sons. And they're mad about man's will. 
and they're fighting over it. And the younger son says, what are any of us really doing here? Um, why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. What are we doing here? Why are we here? Again, it's a weird place to be. Him tries to calm down the two brothers, but they actually fight literally until the death. The older brother kills the younger brother with the doorknob uh, that him had torn off of the office door. And the older brother flees away, and man and woman and him take the younger brother to the hospital and leave mother alone in the house. And mother is clearly traumatized from everything that she's witnessed so far. Uh, But also there's a death now in her home. And she doesn't want to be left alone. And she's very afraid to be left alone. Because all these random people keep showing up. And so how does she know if she's really safe? Well, she doesn't. So they take the younger brother to the hospital. They leave mother alone. And mother tries to clean the blood off of the floor. Because where the younger brother had been struck... And in the fight that he was having with his older brother, there was some blood on the floor. And so um, she wants to clean it up. Can't say that I blame her. And while she's cleaning it up, she has another vision of a fetus. This spot of blood on the floor will not come off. Like Clorox couldn't take this off. Pine saw, baby, no, nothing's coming off. Like it's not going to come off. And she's rubbing it and under the spot where the floor is the wood floor is squishy which is concerning because i don't think wood is supposed to be squishy um but it's squishy unless it's rotting right and we as the viewer see that the blood is leaking down into the walls of the basement and there wasn't a lot of blood that came out of the younger brother i mean it was very little But somehow this is going through the wood and leaking down into the basement. So the basement walls open up and mother finds a frog and a secret passage. Back upstairs, the older brother comes back to the house and asks mother why they left her alone. She too would like to know the answer to that question and I too would like to know the answer to that question. Alas, I have no answer for that question. I am so sorry. When him returns, he says that he held the boy's hand while he died. So the younger brother, the younger son of man and woman have died, has died. And him asks mother to take a shower with him. And so because she was unsuccessful in cleaning the blood off the floor, she pretty much just covers it up with a rug before heading upstairs. And she doesn't want to take a shower with him necessarily. But when she goes upstairs to take a shower with him she finds him snoring asleep in bed so i guess no shower time no closure on what happened she gets no resolve she constantly gets the short end of the stick more people show up and him gets dressed and says that man and woman have come back with friends and family because they have nowhere else to go And so now mother is against her will hosting a, like a, like a a funeral kind of, but they don't have a body. Um, And so they're all mourning. They're all dressed in black for the most part. And they are talking and telling stories about younger son. And him gives a toast to all of these people about the pain of losing a child. 
even though he himself has never lost a child. I think I would have found that incredibly insulting if I were man and woman. And people are being so rude to mother. They're completely taking over her home and she's really upset. And one of these random ass people, because at first they say it's friends and family, but then I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of random people there, like, and seemingly not all of them are even partaking in the grieving process. And some of them are just there just to be there. And so one of these randoms is sitting on a sink, like the sink, the counter that goes around a sink, um, in what I believe is supposed to be like the mud room, or it could be the kitchen. To be honest, this home is so insanely like torn apart and because there's nothing in it, like I can't really tell what room is what, but, um, in this laundry room slash mud room, there's a sink and it hasn't been um, completely secured against the wall yet. So it's very loose. And if someone were to sit on it, it would it would break. And it would like pull the pipe out of the wall and everything. So she's asking people not to sit there. And she has asked people not to sit there, I don't know, like four times at this point. And these people won't move and they keep sitting there. So then eventually they start like bouncing up and down on it. And the sink breaks because it's not secured to the wall and they partially flood the house. So mother orders everybody to get the fuck out of her house. Finally, I'm glad she speaks up for herself because Lord knows her husband's not doing it. And after this, she gets so pissed and tells him that she cannot believe that he put everyone else's needs before hers. And somehow this leads to them having sex. I am pausing both for dramatic effect and because I do not understand that line of reasoning. The very next morning, she announces that she is pregnant. Has anyone ever found out they've been pregnant that fast before? If you have, can you please send me an email at finalgirlon6 at gmail.com? I've not ever heard of an instance in which someone has sex and between, I don't know, five to 12 hours later, knows that they're pregnant. This inspires him to write again. And she says, I'm going to get started on the apocalypse. If you haven't figured out by now that this movie is oddly incredibly pretentious, please take some time to reflect on that before we continue. Months later, Him's new poem is published and he receives acclaim and praise. And so Mother plans a special dinner that gets interrupted by fans. Uh, it's a bit confusing. I believe he has published maybe like, I don't know, like one or two copies, but somehow like all these people know about it and they're thrilled and they can't wait to meet the man who wrote it. And so they show up at his house. So no more special dinner. And she asks him to send these people away, but he insists that they should be polite because these people traveled a long way to tell him how much they love him. 
So she's upset again. He's always picking other people before her. And people start to literally pour into the house. And um, they're stealing things. They're taking, like, souvenirs, you know? They're grabbing shit off the wall. Like, they're just taking anything they can get. Um, And I mean anything. Cups, plates, doorknob, like, everything. They're taking it all. And when we see the guest bedroom where the younger son was murdered by his brother, the blood spot is getting bigger. And people are, you know, criticizing. Mother is upset. She's like, please stop taking all my stuff. This is so weird. I really do not like this. And someone, a fan, says, you should share, like the poet said. Implying that him said that, I guess, in a roundabout way, that these people could just have whatever they wanted from his house. Now, this... And, and from now on, can only be described as pure chaos. And so rather than trying to pick out each individual thing that is occurring, I'm only trying to highlight the important things. I mean, there's, like, a guy who offers to, like, paint the staircases. I mean, like, there's random things happening. But the moral of the story that you need to understand, if you are simply listening and not watching this movie or have never watched this movie or are not planning to watch this movie is that there's a shitload of people in their house. Mother is mad. She's like nine months pregnant. She's pissed. She wants everybody out. People are stealing her stuff. There's people like fucking in one of the bedrooms. Like there it's, it's so bizarre. There's just random ass people in this house. There is a character called the zealot who is in the home as well. And he approaches mother and wants to talk to her. I I believe he asks for, like, her phone number or something. And she's like, I'm married. I have no interest in talking to you. I have no interest in giving you my phone number. So he basically tells her he's a bitch and walks away. And, like, she's a bitch and he just, like, walks away. Because when you are attracted to someone and they reject you, the only logical thing to do is insult them. This is some dating advice for everybody out there. And the zealot will give you everything you need to know. He has a great playbook on this, clearly. And so now he has started to mark foreheads of people, like on, you know, Ash Wednesday. And him is loving the attention so much that he really doesn't care that these people are tearing apart his house. And he really doesn't give a fuck about his wife either. And there are so many people in this house. It is truly becoming a danger to someone who is as pregnant as she is. So, mother starts to go into labor, and these riot police show up out of nowhere, and she gets maced. The riot police start locking all these fans, like, in cages, and they're, you know, shouting to check the goyim, which is something I never thought I would hear in a movie ever. And mother is thrown around and she's trampled and she can't like stand up and she can't catch her breath and she's in pain. She's having contractions. She's about to deliver a life. And all of a sudden in this house, a violent battle breaks out between this like military riot police and the fans that are in it. And him's publicist is trying to come up with a game plan and she's like, 
Okay, well, I'll just start killing as many people as I can. So she has a gun. She starts shooting people. And then she's also telling other people, like, hey, go kill that guy. Or, hey, go kill that lady. Like, when did a publicist become an expert on war? So Mother finally finds him. And he takes her to his office so that she can give birth in there. Because, like, she obviously can't have the privilege of going to a hospital whenever there's so many more important people than her in their home. So the craziness kind of dies down and him says that people have left gifts outside of the home and that they're just waiting. And he tries to tell everybody to leave upon her request, but comes back to tell mother that they don't want to leave because they want to see our newborn son. And he says he's not going to make them leave because, frankly, he doesn't want them to. Mother will not let go of her son. She's protecting him, holding him. But, of course, her body just went through something very traumatic through the birth process. And um, she, she falls asleep. She's holding her baby. She falls asleep. And she doesn't want him to take her son away from her to take him into an environment that is as crazy as the one is that they're having in their house because it's fucking ridiculous. And she's honestly just afraid about what her husband is going to do. You know, the man that she married um, presumably is a man who wanted to protect her and he's done pretty much everything but that. So, rightfully, she has mother's intuition, gut feeling, whatever you want to call it. She doesn't want to give her son to him. But when she falls asleep, him takes the baby, and there's a crowd of people still downstairs who he gives the baby to. And they pass the son around crazily until, unfortunately, the son dies. When she wakes up, she finds her way into the crowd of people, but finds that everyone in the crowd is eating her dead son's corpse. So she screams and she cries, you're all murderers, this is not okay, I'm gonna kill you all, and she tries to start attacking people, and she is successful in attacking like a few people, I want to say like three with a shard of glass that she finds, but in return for her anger, they beat her savagely until him finally intervenes because now he's decided he wants to protect her. When he gets to her, him says, can you please forgive, uh, you know, my fans? And maybe the death of our son will change the world. Who the fuck wants to hear that? Okay? Nobody wants to hear that. So, mother goes down to the basement and she breaks like this oil tank with a wrench and she lights the oil and the house explodes and kills everybody. And you know what? I can't blame her. Tell me who's in the wrong. I'm going to go with not her. So him emerges from this fire 
totally not burned at all. Like, fire repellent, he is not burned. Or, sorry, I should say fire retardant, I think. But he is not burned at all. And he's not even hot. Like, he's just like, he's fine. Cool. Everything's cool. And he says, I am I. You were home. He asks for her love. She agrees to give it to him. He reaches into her chest and removes her heart, which is like an anatomical heart, wrapped around another fucking crystal. Are you fucking kidding me? So he takes the crystal and he puts it on the stupid stand and the house returns back to normal again. And then another, we'll get back into the bedroom and just like Jennifer Lawrence's character, there's another woman in her spot and she wakes up and it's like the whole thing starts all fucking over. So that is mother 2017 Darren Aronofsky, anyone. I don't know that Darren Aronofsky's ever made a movie that hasn't been either infuriating or incredibly sad because if we look at this and then we look at Requiem for a Dream, which literally makes me want to throw up when I watch it because it's so sad. He's maybe one of the most polarizing directors of all time, but also one of the greatest. And I'm about to tell you why when we get into the details. It's difficult to imagine where to even begin to tackle um, a film like this. However, if you had the pleasure of growing up in a Baptist part of the country, then you might be all too familiar and have caught on already to all of the hints that we have been given. Um, But this entire film is biblical illusion, metaphor, um, mm, I use metaphor lightly, Metaphor, if you don't uh, believe in a higher power or that necessarily all of the things in the Bible are true or either occurred or did not occur, however you fall, I'm going to talk about this more objectively rather than talk about it from a personal viewpoint in order to uh, not alienate any of my listenership here. But starting from the beginning, like I mentioned... In the, the names of the characters, uh, when you look at, and Darren Aronofsky even said this himself in an interview, when you look at the title, uh, or the, excuse me, the credits, the only p- person who has a capitalized name is him. When people write about God or refer to God, if they call him he or him, It is also capitalized as a proper noun. So that's a pretty obvious and and, uh, glaring example of what we're dealing with here. In the Bible, and I believe... Well, let's just talk about the Christian Bible, because that's the one that I know the most about. In the Bible, Mary Magdalene had visions... That was one of the things that she was able to do, was have visions. And so Mother, right off the bat, shows us that she too has some visions. She got some visions going on. Her visions are about a fetus. I do not recall if Mary Magdalene had specific visions of a child. 
But I do recall that Mary Magdalene had vision of Jesus after his death. So, unfortunately, I think maybe Mother would have uh, been aided with that information had she known that her child would also later die. Um, But, nonetheless, Mary Magdalene, Mother, pretty much the same. Okay. Except Mary was a virgin and Mother's clearly not a virgin because she had sex and she got pregnant in five hours. So, again, record time, but I don't know. Mary didn't have sex at all and she got pregnant, so I would say that's also pretty good time. When man shows up and he's throwing up in the bathroom, and I mentioned he has a giant scar on his back that is a reference to his rib. Eve was said to be made from uh, Adam's rib, and that's how we got Eve. So the next day, whenever woman shows up at the door and she's making out with man, and she said, they say to each other, wow, it's nice to meet you. That is literally because Adam and Eve met each other when they found out that they were partners. Like, they, they didn't know each other before. They didn't have time to cultivate a lovely romance or, or a courtship of any kind. They were just the two people on Earth, and that's how they knew each other. And... Um, So that is why we see the scar, and then the next day we get woman. So that's Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve, what did they do in the Garden of Eden? They ate the forbidden fruit. The dumbasses that they are ate... Well, sorry, I shouldn't say they. It was not Adam's idea to eat the fruit. But when they are in him's office and they're fucking with the crystal that he already asked them not to touch and they drop it that was a direct betrayal to him or the god character which is oddly similar to god saying hey don't eat that apple don't do it bad shit and guess what apple gets eaten Crystal gets broken. Adam and Eve had two sons. Their names are Cain and Abel. So whenever the two brothers show up and they're arguing over the man's will, Cain was... Cain was greedy. Um, Cain was motivated by money. And... The reason in the Bible why Cain killed Abel is not, you know, it's, it's pretty similar to the situation we have here. Um, they're arguing over the will of their father and Cain is obviously the Cain character, I should say, is, you know, wants more. And he's wondering, like, what do I have to do to get what I want? Like, why is this not happening? In the Bible, each of them made sacrifices to God. And Abel's sacrifices were accepted by God and Cain's were not. So, Cain 
in a fit of rage, decides, you know what? I'm going to kill my brother. I don't see a better thing to do here, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. And out of the jealousy of, you know, Abel's offerings being accepted by God, he kills his brother and God sentences him to a life of wandering, to a life of um, not being in Eden, to a life of, I wouldn't say loneliness because Cain did go on to have a child of his own. Um, but the Lord also in the Bible to Cain made some arrangement somehow that nobody would kill him. So he would have to live with the guilt and the knowledge that he did what he did and that no one essentially would put him out of his misery. That was his punishment. And I guess in the Bible, um, suicide wasn't like a thing that had been thought of yet. So I... Don't know why Cain didn't think about that part, but that's also why in the film, as soon as Cain kills Abel, kills his brother, he runs out of the house and he comes back to the home when he knows that God is not there, when him is not there, because he was not allowed to be back in Eden. He was actually sentenced or, or punished and, and cast out to um, somewhere east of Eden, which if you've seen the film East of Eden, seems like an appropriate reference to make here. So that is why we never see Cain, the Cain character, again. Back in the office when we're talking about man um, flattering him over why he has so many copies of the same book, but then, you know, jumping up and down with glee that he is his biggest fan is another obvious reference. Um, when you see a Bible, like, in a store or something, there's, like, a hundred of them, okay? And the significance here is that this is him's word. This is God's word, right? So this is not just, like, a, a random book. Um, this is the word of God. And so to say, oh, I'm your, I'm such a huge fan of your work, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. If you believe that God wrote the Bible or that the Bible is his word and someone else wrote it, however you feel about that, that's a pretty obvious reference that all these books are meant to be a Bible. This also plays into the... I would say attitude of the Old Testament God, the him character very much represents the Old Testament God, the God who wanted people to be obsessed with him, who wanted people to worship him, who was like trying to prove himself so that people would worship him. He, he invites all these people and has them in his home and he has all these fans because that's what he wants. And I don't know how that's not selfish maybe if someone can explain it to me, but I think we can all argue that Old Testament God was a pretty selfish guy. Now, what's also interesting is when um, Mother is getting 
the baby's room ready, right? Because she's pregnant. When mother's getting the baby's room ready, she actually uses the room that Abel was murdered in as the nursery room. And the blood on the floor, right, the blood from Abel, could very much represent the sin of the earth, right? It's tainted. It is no longer pure. If we are to assume that the home itself is the Garden of Evil, Eden, excuse me, or represents the Garden of Eden or is located in the Garden of Eden, and that's why all these people know where it is and they know where to find it and they know how to get there, then this, this sin of the murder of Abel, this blood on the floor, could, could very well represent the sin of the world. That Jesus will be born to come and clean when chaos ultimately breaks out in the home towards the end of the film. I personally am interpreting that as the war in heaven. I am personally interpreting that as what we know from the New Testament book of Revelation, which references a past war in heaven. And this is your typical battle of good and evil. But there are people basically there who were like, I followed you from the beginning, God in the home I'm talking about. There are people in the home who are like, I followed you from the beginning. I'm your biggest fan. Please don't kill me. You know, don't leave me on this scorched earth behind. I want to continue to worship you. I want to continue to relish in all of the things that I believe that you give me. X, Y, Z. So they're trying to prove to him how much they love him. Old Testament God, we already covered, loves that shit. The narcissism is screaming. So when they are waiting, right, they, they decide, okay, we're all going to wait here and we're not going to leave. But hey, we brought, we brought you guys some presents. Like as if they're the fucking three wise men who bring all the gifts. And they're like, we brought you guys some presents because, you know, you're having a baby. And by the way, we don't want to leave until we see the baby. And him's character not only wants people to be obsessed with him, people to love him, people to adore him, he also wants to give the people what they want. And his motive, very sinisterly this entire time, has been to prove, I would argue, a point to Jennifer Lawrence's character. She's constantly saying, why are you putting all these people before me? Like, why will you not listen to me? Why am I not being taken seriously? Is there any reason in the world why you can't put me first? And he, Javier Bardem's character, takes this to the next level. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Outwardly, I'm going to show you that I love you more than anything else in the world. I love you so much. I want to have a child with you. And you're going to be happy when you discover that you are pregnant with my child. But sinisterly, his entire plan was to take that baby and give it to these people. He's going to cleanse the sins of the world by giving these people that he doesn't know his only son. 
his first and only son. And the reason why I think that Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem have sex in the movie and then conceive is because, like, I think Darren Aronofsky as a director and writer knows that we would, um, it would have been, like, a total, utter dead giveaway to not see them have sex and for her to just be pregnant the next morning. I mean, that would be, hello, Mary. So, in order to avoid that, it made it much more realistic that they had sex. Anyways, so that's why he's saying like mother i don't want to tell them to leave i want them to be here and you know the purpose of me even getting you pregnant in the first place is because i think that this will help the world so at first opportunity he jumps and is like oh let me just go grab my kid from its mom and i'm just gonna give it to these people and whatever the fuck they do with it is whatever the fuck they do with it So they kill it, right? I mean, Jesus was sacrificed. And I guess in my um, understandings and learnings of the Bible, I, I maybe don't know how Mary felt about the fact that her son was going to be sacrificed. I um, imagine that there was like a lot of weird feelings about that. I, I yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because Jennifer Lawrence's character obviously did not know that that was the plan. But if Mary knew that was the plan and she was, like, cool with it, then, like, so be it. But I would still feel a little odd about it either way. Even if I had known before, I still think it would make me a little uneasy, obviously. So she wakes up to the surprise that her son was, you know, ultimately sacrificed by its father to these randoms in their house and the horror and the shock of that I have seen in interviews when she is talking about how she is playing that scene or how she's like getting into the mind space to play it she actually has suffered pretty severe psychological trauma from that scene because how can you not I mean it's it is utterly devastating But the reason, just in case anybody hasn't put two and two together yet, why all these people are eating her son, not just like, you know, how Jesus got was on the cross or whatever. Like, nobody was cannibalizing him in my memory. But these people were like, oh, a baby, let's eat it. Hell yeah. It's obviously a reference to communion. You know, you when you take communion, you... Um, are given the body of Christ. Fortunately for all of, you know, the people who take communion, it's not real flesh. It's uh, like a wafer or like a cracker usually. Thank fucking God, okay? But in this situation, it's very literal. Like, your your husband is helping the world. Or, like, this man is helping the world. He gave us his son. We ate him. And, like, look at us. Like, we're so happy now. Everything's great. Yay! So, whenever, like, these people unequivocally love and worship him. And they are so unwavering in their support and their love that they die in this house. She sets fire to the house and they all die there. They would not leave him. 
They trust him. They don't view mother as a martyr. They view her as this crazy person who's like, for some reason, upset that we ate her kid. And interestingly enough, which is something I didn't catch on any of the watches, really, because it just wasn't the way it spoke to me personally, Darren Aronofsky has said in interviews that he kind of sees this as like a Mother Earth. Her name is Mother in reference to Mother Earth. And what do we do with Mother Earth? We take and we take and we take and we give nothing. So these people come into Mother's home in the film and they take everything, right? They're taking shit off of her tables and like they're breaking furniture and they're fighting over stuff just to have it. And while him is relishing in all of this, you know, glory, she is helpless. There's nothing she can do to make it stop. And we take so much from her that we also take her kid. We take absolutely everything from her. And at the end, she too worships him so unwaveringly that she, after all that he put her through, gives him her heart. He reaches into her chest and grabs it. And she has no hesitation surrounding it. And he says, you are home. I am I. I am just me. But you are home. And that can mean, obviously, any number of of things, however you interpret that. If someone tells me that I feel like home to them, I mean, I take that as, like, the highest compliment that you can give someone. For him, I believe we are still seeing... you know, Old Testament God. I, I, I'm so glad that this happened because I got to make all these people happy and fuck you if I made you upset. I'm sorry about that. But by the way, I'm not done taking from you yet. So thank you for the kid and thank you for letting me kill it and thank you for letting everybody eat it and thank you for letting all these people destroy our home. By the way, can I have one last thing? Can I just have your heart? He has no... There's no stopping. Like, there's the selfishness, the the greed is so strong that he'd be willing to take anything that anyone will give, including that. And that is why I firmly believe that the book that he had already written in the beginning was the Old Testament. When mother becomes pregnant, he is inspired to write again. What he publishes directly after that, New Testament. When does Jesus die? The New Testament. All right, great. So, I don't know that this New Testament God is really that much different than the Old Testament God at this point in the film. And maybe there just wasn't enough time to develop that. But these are my thoughts, guys. So I think I've taken up quite an ample amount of time. And and religion is something I can go on and on and on about. 
Um, but I, I do really encourage you to watch this movie if you're looking for something that is, yes, pretentious, but also really good, very smart, very confusing, infuriating, devastating. It is unlike any other film you will have ever seen. I can promise you that. It's filmed beautifully, which is something I shouldn't have to tell you, given by the name of the person who created it. Um, Darren Aronofsky does nothing but put out wonderful, wonderfully beautiful films. Um, Cinematography-wise and and acting and and script-wise, certainly not the um, content in the movies. Those are... They rarely are happy at all. But this is definitely a film that if you're looking to be moved by or changed by or even just to learn about yourself or about others or about motives of others, I say give it a watch. What happened? Well, the worst thing that happens is you you get rid of two hours of your life. Well, guess what? You're probably scrolling on your phone for two hours anyway, so who cares? So that is my story, guys. I will link some additional um, information in the show notes about, like, you know, where you can read up on further context about these biblical stories that I've talked about here and, of course, sources like IMDb that I've used. Thank you so much for listening. You can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Pocket Casts. If you've enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world to me if you left me a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, requests, you can email me at finalgirlon6, that's the number six, at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Instagram at finalgirlon6, that's the number six, dot com. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I am back to regularly scheduled programming every other Thursday, so Sorry again for not having an episode last week, but like I said, it was a holiday, so I really appreciate the patience. And to finally wrap it up, I am Six Avenue's very own final girl, and I will talk to you very soon. Bye!